Across the Park podcast is proud to be sponsored by Globe Gas and Heating. For the best kitchen and bathroom renovations, boiler servicing and repair, and central and underfloor heating in the Northwest, head over to globecentralheating.com and quote Across the Park for a free quote. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Across the Park podcast. Myself, Joji, joined by Mike from the Blue Boys Network. Mike, great to see you. We were saying before, it's been 18 months since we caught up, but thanks to Melody's man flu, we're back again. Yeah, mate, easily 18 months as well, since the watch long days where you used to jump on. So, um, <laughs> yeah, good to see you, Joji. And, um, yeah, but it's nice to talk about some more positive times, isn't it, really? You know, it's 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 much better than it has been. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to getting into it. And thanks for having us on, as always. No, no, it's a pleasure, mate. And, and again, for any of our listeners or followers who haven't seen the Blue Boys Network stuff, please check them out. Um, we'll put the link to their channel in the description for the, for the podcast. Some superb content for the guys, so please check them out. As Mike said, it's more, it's, you know, it's it's... It's a positive feeling again coming after another fantastic away performance from the Blues. I mean, we, I've, I've heard I've heard lots of your content, Mike, this season, and, and you, like myself, have been bemoaning the lack of a plan B. Well, one thing's for sure, plan A seems to be working out okay on the road, doesn't it, for, for Sean Dyche and the, and the boys? Yeah, I mentioned it yesterday. It, he, um, he, he just it seems to have found a winning formula. Um, you know, I noticed yesterday when we were playing that you'd see Mikolenko go up the left hand side and you see you'd see James Garner carry the ball and carry it to the left hand side of the pitch, which would mean that the opposition again come over to the left hand sides, but that, that exposes the right hand side, which means Ashley Young and um and uh, Jack Harrison have got more room to deliver a ball while they create the overlap on the overload on the left hand side. So it's working well in that sense. It's part of the reason why I still think he's playing young. Um, you know, my everyone knows my particular thoughts on young. I don't think he should be starting games in the Premier League for Everton, but he, he does have the ability to go forward that he's had for his whole career. Let's be honest, since, since he was at Watford, he's always been a, a winger traditionally. So I, I sort of understand why he does it in that sense. So it's happy, it's good. I just wish he'd now find that plan A. And do it at home because our own record is horrendous and our away record is top four. So it's something needs to give. But more than happy with the performance and um, just got to keep going because if we're going to pick up points away from home to keep us in the league, then we've got to keep doing it. 100%. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. And, and I, I do see, I was, look, I was frustrated as most Evertonians were to see Ashley Young in the, in the starting 11 before the game. Um, but, but I do see, again, from a tactical point of view, why he's in there. I think one thing I've stressed quite a few times is what Young does give Sean Dyche and gives this team is with his right foot from the defensive area, he's capable of switching the play very well. He's capable of finding that pass inside the pitch, which I think at times Patterson lacks. I think, you know, for all his energy and his, and his um, you know, his athleticism versus Young being, you know, from an age point of view, a lot, a lot older than him. He hasn't. He hasn't. He can't really strike a ball as cleanly as as Ashley Young can. And I think Dykes likes. He obviously likes to, to get the ball from 
back to front, right to left as quickly as possible, you know, in the most efficient manner he can. And Young can offer that. Um, I, I must admit, and it was a bit like the uh, the Brentford game, when I seen the first time Alanga went up against them, he knocks it past them and Young yeah. and Frank, you know, it's going to be an early yellow card. He's going to be up against it. Thankfully, he didn't get that yellow. And thankfully, beyond that point, he he, he done okay. I mean, every time Alanga got him 1v1, he, he did beat him, but you'd expect that. But I thought, he, he, you know, he, he done well to not get drawn into fouling him as often as he has been in recent weeks. And I, I think, you know, Ashley Young's obviously a very, as you've just said, a very experienced player. And what Ashley Young's probably realising now is, Got some really good defenders alongside me. So if I do get beat and that ball goes into the box, they're invariably going to defend it quite well. So you can probably avoid that, can't you, a bit more often? Fouling. Yeah, and, and and I think that's what he did. I think you're right. Every time Alanga had him one way one, he stripped him. He was on toast. And but he knew that. So he didn't dive in, he didn't lash out. And every time the ball came across the box, there was somebody to pick it up, whether it be you know, Brantwaite, Tarkowski, whether it be the two centre midfielders who, who, in my opinion, did a better job um, of picking up the runners than Forrest going into the box, because I do think that is a weakness of Everton that we've had for years. We, we Our central midfielders very rarely pick up the runners going into the box mm. and, and it leaves us exposed. And we have saw goals from it this season. Um but the fact that we didn't do that against Forest, a, a very capable Forest team. Let, let's make no bones about it. Yes, they lost last week at home against Brighton. But until then, Forest's record at home was top six, were they? It was fantastic. They're, 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 a, they're a very solid team to beat away from home. We almost did it last season, but ended up with a 2-2 draw. So, you know, yeah, players like... We lost one before the weekends at home. Yeah, exactly. So... It, it's really positive that an Everton side that Forrest wouldn't have expected to go there beat them and didn't just beat them. We we dominated them from, from pretty much start to finish. We we were better with the ball. We were better in transition. We had better shots on target. We had better opportunities. Um, we, we, as always, just need to try and be a little bit more clinical, but you can argue that that game, we would have been clinical there we had one off the line, which I think you know was a was a great effort. Everything by the, right. Everything right, yeah. So that that goes in, um, and that makes it two 0 and the game's more comfortable. So for me, it was as complete a away performance as we have had this season. I, I was really really happy with it. Yeah, I completely agree. And and just to touch on a few more of them individual performances, just to go back back to your point on the missed chances, I think the other argument is you know a better would maybe have more minutes on the pitch. And have maybe had a couple of goals under his belt would have just probably side footed that with a little less vigor and, and maybe yeah. just, you could smell the desperation, couldn't you, for him to get on the score sheet there? But just to touch on some of the the, the performances again, you can't not mention Vitaly Michalenko. You know, yeah. another outstanding performance from him. Um, and and again, he probably making most of us as fans. And let's be honest, most people have been on his back at some point. Um, making most of us look a little bit silly and and. You know, one thing I've always said about Michalenko, and, and this was even when he was at his worst, and I'm sure he's agree with that, the lad's always put a shift in. He's always tried to do what he could. Yeah. He just looked he looked very limited at times, but credit to Sean Dyche, he's, he's found a way. And I, 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 I'm going to credit the manager and the team here because they found a way to get the best out of him. You know, he's not the same. He's completely different to Ashley Young on the other side. Um, he, he's obviously a very defensive player, 
but you know the stats that stats don't lie. You know he's he's made more tackles than any other any other player in that team. He's coming inside the pitch and he's winning the ball in midfield. He's like an inverted fullback, which is obviously a very very you know um, in trend position. But he's playing that yeah. very differently. He's playing it like a defensive midfielder, and I'm just I'm delighted for him to be fair. And I think he's he's having a huge impact on the team. I think I think it's absolutely right. And again, yeah, you are. I, I've alluded to it as well. But he. I always thought, even when people were, were writing him off, and, mate, I was one of them. You know, we all said he's a championship defender. We all said he was a poor defender. But defensively, I've always said he's actually a good 1v1 defender. Mm. He very rarely gets beat round the back and somebody delivers a ball. But I did think sometimes he was a little bit weak. Sometimes he, he didn't pass the ball forward quickly enough. Sometimes he dilly-dallied and would go backwards. This season... He's much more composed. He's relaxed. He's prepared to make that late one into the box. And although you're not seeing the Baines PNR-esque overlaps, you do know that McNeil and him, they, they've got some form of relationship where they know where each other are. And this is why McNeil seems to drift into the middle, allowing Mikolenko to go further up the pitch. Um, and with that, he's... He's almost started to get a bit of maturity. You know, he's very quiet. He's, he's very calm. You don't really hear him speaking on a pitch. But he does all the basics well. He does all the basics well. He reminds me, weirdly, from a defensive standpoint, a bit like Tony Hibbert. From a defensive standpoint, yeah, yeah, yeah. it was very difficult to beat Tony Hibbert. It was very difficult... Yeah. But he didn't score goals and he didn't really create. Well, Mikolenko does do a little bit of that. He's got no, two no, goals no. already. He, he, you know, he, he does deliver a ball. So you, you're seeing a player that defensively is solid, much better than Luca Dean was, his, his predecessor. Oh, yeah. Much yeah. better defensively than he is. And you're seeing someone now that's capable of whipping in a ball or getting a shot off from 20 yards, having a couple of volleys, somebody who's got confidence and... For me, he is he is actually the player that when I when I talk about Sean Dyche coming in and the effects that a manager has on a player, it's Mikolenka because yeah, he's yeah. gone from being a bit part, you know, not not really, you know, in anyone's mind, to in my opinion, he's he's one of the first managers to put on the team sheet. The minute you know. He, he, if we if we had a left back, if we had a right back as good as our left back, we we wouldn't be having this conversation every week about young Patterson or, or Coleman. So um, I'm really really happy with him, and I think he absolutely epitomises Sean Dodge. Hard work, aggressive when he needs to be, doesn't lose his head, nice and calm under composure, and we'll chip him with a goal or two. And that's that's more than I can ask for from a left back. And, and the second player I'm going to bring up is probably falls exactly into that category again. Another yeah. player who is, is is Decore, you know, Abdullah Decore, and another player who was was completely in the shadows when Sean Dyche come in. Again, was a, wasn't a player certainly on my lips. Um, and, and he's found, you know, he's found that position that he that, listen. He he had that position at Wofford. He had that role at Wofford where he was, you know, the the, the false nine, if you like, the player who was given a bit more a bit of freedom. He didn't have his most impact, the most impactful of games at the weekend. But again, he, he he's a player. I think he's just quietly effective throughout the game, off the ball, on the ball. He's always the player initiating the press. He's the player who gets in the pockets. He provides that ball for McNeil, 
for the chance that you said that you know was obviously cleared off the line. I played again. Who's just for me has been has had a huge impact on that team. And and again for me, one of the first first names on the team sheet. Yeah, it's it's weird with Decoray for me, and it, it's not because I don't think there's a player there. Um, because I do, and there's there's no getting around that he's absolutely someone that needs to be starting games for Everton. But as much as we can sit here and praise him, and we rightly should, you know, the last few weeks he has been great. He also goes through periods in the season where you sit there and think, if you just had a footballing brain, you would be brilliant. Because sometimes when he's carrying the ball, he can look a little bit clumsy. You know, sometimes his his passing can be. I mean, it sometimes his passing can be atrocious. Passing as passing can be dreadful, yeah. Yeah. Second, so, as much as I love him when he plays, he also frustrates me half of the time as well because I do think that for a player with his his quality, he can actually do more. Um, there's no doubt though. Over the last three or four weeks, five weeks, he, probably since Dyer's just come in. To be fair. He has started to be more consistent and, you know, he does do the easier things better and well. He doesn't make as many silly mistakes. He does still have his moments where I sit there and think, please, God, lol. I think there was one, was it a couple of weeks ago? I can't remember if it was against Liverpool and went through. I think yeah, Jack Harrison yeah. has got the ball yeah. and... Decoray runs in front of Calvert-Lewin instead of running around the back of him. And I sat there thinking, I literally educate 10-year-olds not to run in front of their man and, and close his space. But Decoray did that. Um, there's occasions where Decoray doesn't pick the pass in the final third and you sit there and you think, please just pass the ball because we, we would be in with score. But he showed this, this particular game on Sunday He's thinking about that now because he did pass the ball. He did do the McNeil. He did pass the ball through to him in space. And if he can just continue to just, without sounding awful to him, think, mm. then he's an absolute asset in this team. Absolute. But it's when he doesn't think, I sit there and I think, I could easily substitute. I could easily have you nowhere near this, this game. But there's no doubt he starts every week because of his energy, his aggression when he's carrying the ball. He gets us out of trouble. But I just know that he could do so much more as well. Yeah, no, yeah, some, some good points there, you're right. I think what's probably most, both alarming for me, but also, you know, encouraging for Zagore is, I, I can't think who else you put in that position now. And I think the midfield would look very disjointed and very flat without him playing that, you know, that kind of pivot position ahead of the, the two that he's playing at the moment. But one player, and again, he was, I think he was given man of the match in the end, and it, it just yeah. so going back to his own st old stomping ground, James Garner, absolutely outstanding. And, you know, the, the kid is, is getting plaudits, thankfully now outside of, of, of our circles now as well. You know, he can play, he's tenacious, so clever. All of the things you said that, you know, you, you're frustrated at, with Decore, he's got them in abundance, hasn't he? He's got such a football brain. Yeah, he actually he almost makes up for it, which is which is what's really useful. Um, so he he has this natural ability of opening his body up and seeing the picture. You know, it's like it's like it's like, like with Decore at times he opens the book, but the pages are blank. Whereas James Garner, he opens the book and he can read every line really quickly. Mm. Um, 
and and that is that's through just being a genuinely good natural uh, gifted footballer um and what was massive in that game um and I, I know this because I was I was fortunate enough to be there. So St. George's Park in the summer, two weeks before the under-23s, was it the Euros or the World Cup, whatever it was for them, and they, Lee Carsley went on and won it. Um, I, I was fortunate enough to, to be there when they were there, um, and I was lucky enough to, to catch up with James and also Morgan Gibbs-White, who played against each other. Them two were really close friends. And actually, from the little scraps that they had in the game, um, James Garner won all of them. And bearing in mind that you're talking about Morgan Gibbs-White that was valued at 45 million, he's skillful, quick and all of that. You're now seeing that James Garner, who has been quite quiet, quite reserved, hasn't made big entrances in his career, you know, didn't quite cut it at Man United, ended up going out on loan, blah, 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 blah. He, he now looks the footballer that we probably all knew that he could do. So um, it's really exciting for James. I think as he as he bulks up and he gets bigger and he, he naturally develops his game, um, it's only going to get better. But he reminds me, he reminds me a lot of Michael Carrick. Just very quiet, understated, plays a beautiful pass. Um, he's got a goal in him, respected in his team. He, he, he is... He's just a fantastic footballer and he's got a really bright future, James. Really, really bright. Yeah, no, and it's, you touched on, on the fitness side of it then. I think, uh, again, like Vitaly Michalenko, he was somebody who looked a little bit lightweight last season. He certainly done a lot more work with Sean yeah. Dyche's team in, in the gym uh, on his physicality. And I, I actually, I know the uh, the SNC coach at Forest very well. And I remember when we signed James Garner, he said, look, what a player. He said, but... The reason Forrest didn't go all out for him is they didn't think physically he'd be up for the Premier League, up to the Premier League. And it probably was the right, you know, call 12 months ago. Certainly, he, he looks a, a different animal now in, in every sense of the words. Just before we we, we move we move past it, um, mentioned, mentioned Beto before. Again, I think, you know, he'll be, he'd, be, he'd be disappointed he didn't get the goal. And I think at times you, you see the difference in quality in terms of him not holding the ball up as well, not bringing other players in as well. But then you'd also seen another drop in the level when Chimiti come on. I mean, I was almost, I think it wasn't far off being us throwing the game away when Chimiti come on. I mean, I, I was almost, it was it was a tough one because you could see Beto look tired. You could see, you know, the longer the game go on, the quality was dropping even more. But Chimiti comes on the pitch and, and, and you know, he, he almost gifted them a few, you know, on the when, when we were in good possession. It's worrying, isn't it? If, you know, if, if Tom is going to be out for, you know, a few games again. I'm not sure. There's not been a full diagnosis that's come out. I don't believe, but I'm just hoping that it's sooner rather than later that he is back in. Yeah, I think your problem with you're right. Your problem with the fact that you've got Don, who is Premier League ready, has played in the division. What is it? Seven seasons now, six seasons, yeah. something like that. You know, he's he's. You know, he knows the Premier League. He knows the physicality. You know, he once struggled. You know, if we all go back to when he first came on the scene. None of us could understand why he was playing games because he was too thin, wasn't good enough, wasn't scoring enough goals. Koeman tried to play him right back. You know, it was just, he just didn't really, and he adapted, he changed, he, he, he turned into a fully fled Premier League striker. 
Um, he's had injury problems, of course, but he but he is no doubt a Premier League striker. But you then bring in Beto, whose record at Udinese was, I think, one goal in three. I think he made 30 appearances and scored 10 last season. Um, then you've got Chimiti, who I'm not saying there's not a talented individual there, but again, you're going to go through the same pain that you went with, with Calvert-Lewin with a, a young a young up-and-coming striker. So the 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 drop between Calvert-Lewin and Beto is massive because mm. Beto hasn't got used to the Premier League yet. He's not playing enough minutes to get used to the Premier League. And when he does have his opportunities in the Premier League, he's not really taking them because he's not confident, Maybe he's not good enough. He feels under uh, pressure because he, 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 he knows that in order yeah. to start the team, he's got to score. And yeah, yeah, and 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 the problem you've got with that is you almost you almost need somebody to come and put their arm around him and say, "Look, don't stress about not scoring. There's other players in this team that can score. The problem is there is other players in this team that can score, but they'll only score one." You know, like we've seen Dwight Manil, he'll score one. Takore will score one. Jack Harrison will score one. There's not there's not multiple goals being scored from multiple players here. This isn't like a you know, an Aston Villa or a West Ham where you could say, Oh, they've got Bowen and they might have a centre forward, they've got Suchek, you know, whoever can chip in with a couple of goals a game. We literally we're quite reliant on somebody putting the ball in the back of the net at least once, if not twice. And Beto Unfortunately for Beto, until he finds his feet, he just seems to struggle. He has got pace. He's got oh, yeah. a natural yeah. yeah, he's got he's got pace. He's physically strong. His first touch is wild at best. I mean, it is wild. Mm. But you kind of think if, if somebody just harnesses that, is if there was a Duncan Ferguson at Everton Football Club who could spend some time with him on one-on-one on just close control, trapping mm. a ball looking for a pass or getting yourself into space, that would be perfect for better. Mm. But unfortunately, there isn't anyone who can just educate him in that sense. So, yeah, it, it worries me. Um, we're going up against two very good teams this week now. Mm. And I think if you start better in those games, as a vocal point, the ball's not going to stick up front very long and, and we will be in trouble. So, yeah. we... We probably do need Calvert Lewin back this week. I've got. I actually, I, I would feel much better with Calvert Lewin starting than Beto or Chimiti. Chimiti, Chimiti almost gets a free pass because he's so young. My yeah. argument with with Chimiti was always, why sign Chimiti for fifteen million when I think there's a better player in Lewis Dobby already there? But that's that's always been my argument. Probably, probably. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a. I don't think Lewis Dobbins up to the level, but that doesn't mean to say I disagree with what you're saying. I think they probably are a similar level at this yeah. moment in time. But um, yeah, I think I think last one again. I did say last one the previous previous one, but I do want to touch on a player who's divided. He's still dividing opinions somewhat, and I say that because it's kind of reflected in the WhatsApp group I've got with a, a few Everton mates, and half of them, you know, a, a complimentary of him. The other half think he flatters to deceive. He got something of us an assist over the weekend, Jack Harrison. Um, yeah. He's now tipped in with three, maybe four assists, I think now, and you know the one goal as well. For me, I, I, I think he's. I think the more I watch him, the more he's very, very similar to Dwight McNeil. 
I, I think he, you know, he's a player who he does enjoy being out wide, but he's capable of tucking in there. He's not, although I thought it was the case, he's not blessed with a huge amount of pace. He kind of one of them plays who moves his legs really fast, but doesn't ever actually seem like he's running very fast. He's yeah, scampers, yeah. Blocked yeah. The That's it. Yeah, it's it's a strange one, but I mean, I, I like him to be fair. I think he's okay. Um, I, I, I do I do agree that at times he can flatter to deceive. Um, he's got that kind of jinky movement where a lot of the time you're going just go and run him, go and run him down the line and get us a corner. I remember Dwight McNeil being like that for long periods, and he's. He's kind of worked out now. Look, this is the way I play. I play the ball off the defender. I get a corner. Don't need to go and run him. I, I still think he's, despite the fact he, you know, he's he's come in with a few assists. I still think he's trying to find his way. I don't think he's re- we've really seen anything there. I don't think the best of him yet. No, so I agree. And I was just going to just check something while you're um, while you're talking about him. He he almost plays. Like a young player, he plays like a player that that has got limited Premier League experience. He's trying to excite people. He's trying to get on the ball a lot. Trying to show his quick movement, beat a player, cross a ball. But he doesn't really deliver on all of those things consistently at all. Um, he dilly dallies, so he'll beat a man, and then when he beats a man. He won't necessarily deliver the ball the first time. He'll jink back and deliver it the second time, which yeah. allows the, the defenders to get into position. And the thing that surprises me most about that is he's 27 years old. Yeah. He's not. He's not young. Um, he's not. He's not young. He should know that the Premier League's all about pace. If you get the chance to whip the ball in, you do it straight away. And, and that was one of the things I used to praise Townsend about. You know, Townsend was not a great footballer, but one thing he did do was deliver the ball very quickly. And that, that would be beneficial for us. And we started that season really well. Jack Harrison isn't a player like that. He, he dilly-dallies. I've got no doubt there's a player in there. But he's playing at the level that he is, which is a bottom-half Premier League winger. He's, he's not he's not a winger that's going to take us forward. He's not a winger that's, you know, going to create X amount of goals and score goals on his own for fun. He's not a, you know, he's not a Wilfred Nonto who we were linked with heavily, who's, who's got that ability to just blast a load of players and put the ball in the top bin. He's not capable of that. So mm. I think it's all about expectations for me. Um what do we expect from Jack Harrison on loan? I expect a few assists and a few goals. I expect no more than five goals. I think that's probably what he'll get. And I expect him to probably get, I don't know, eight assists. And that, he, get, and that, he gets five goals and eight assists. It'll be one of the best returns we've had in a long time. And that's, uh, and that's the problem because that's where we, we unfortunately are, which isn't, in my opinion, isn't right going into a year where we're going to get this new stadium and we should hopefully be trying to look more upwards rather than downwards. But for me, Jack Harrison, he, he irritates me um, because there's a player there, but I think he stops himself from being as good as he can be. No, that, that, that's fair. No, I think it's a fair assessment. Um, just to end, obviously, on, on the game itself, then that, that now puts us fourth in the form table away from home, only two points short of... The best return away from home, which is which is Tottenham. Obviously, Tottenham got another brilliant draw at Man City yesterday. As I said at the start of the piece, you know, he's found a formula, plan A, if you like, away from home, which is very effective. Completely agree with you. They now need to replicate or find a, an alternative formula. Maybe we call it plan B. 
for how we play at home. And he can just flip between them now, and we should be fine. We'll, you know, we'll be fourth. We need we'll Operation be... Goodison. Operation Goodison. That's what we need. Operation Goodison exercise. Yeah. Yeah. We need to uh, get that involved. But yeah, um, mm. that, that's that, that's it on the on the Forest game. We have got a few questions, Mike. And um, we'll keep yeah. too much longer. But the first question is something of a an ambitious one, but I, I'll read it. And thanks again for the the questions. As always, it's from Talk Toffee on Twitter. Uh, it was it was addressed to Ian, but sorry, mate, Ian's not here. You'll have to do with me and Mike. If Everton win their appeal against the Premier League and our points are restored, should the club sue them for slander and wrongful prosecution, considering the pain and suffering they've put the club and supporters through? Um, so, uh, well, the answer is no, because it's not wrongful prosecution for a start. It's, we have been prosecuted of a breach that we have actually committed. Um, so we can't we can't sue them for slander because it's, they're technically correct. Have they been harsh with the points deduction? I think, yes, I think we probably all know that. Um, I think a lot of the media know that. So can you argue that you could sue them for being overzealous, over-aggressive with Everton. I don't think I've ever heard anyone as a, as a president be set for being overly aggressive. Um, that's what an appeals court is for. So, yeah, for me, no. Everton have put their hands up and says, look, we, you know, we have broken financial fair play. We give, did give four reasonable mitigating circumstances, which I actually agree with all of them. You know, loan payments on stadium, um, naming rights of stadium, the fact that, you know, there was a player at Everton that wasn't able to either be sold or played, which could have maybe enhanced our position or have helped towards the coffers. Yeah. Um, I think all of those are fair points, which were waived. That That's why it goes to a court of appeal and not suing the Premier League. What will be interesting is if Manchester City are found in breach and clubs are allowed to sue Everton, does that mean that everyone will be able to sue Manchester City who's finished below them for years? And that that is a can of worms that will be open. So, um, no, but I think it's a fair, fair question to ask. Yeah, absolutely. And again, thanks for the questions. No, no matter whether we agree with your opinion or not, we'll always, we'll always hear them. Well, within reason. <laughs> um, we had a question from Aaron, who I think, I think works with Millsy, to be fair. And, and his question's a little bit more open. Um, his observations around how poor the refereeing has been of late. Um, he obviously points to the, the decision to not sell Felipe, uh, send Felipe off at the weekend, despite two you know, obvious yellow card offences and then another offence after it, which wasn't a yellow card, but by virtue of accumulation, should have seen him sent off. And then obviously the, the the mess up in the in the Man City game yesterday, where the referees played advantage, then changed his mind. Even though Jack Grealish was through on goal, what's your feeling on the on the I guess the the refereeing you've you've witnessed recently? Do you think it's worse than it has been? Do you think it's again? Do you think it's an impact wider impact of VAR? You know where where do you stand on it? I I, I truly believe that refereeing in the Premier League is the worst it's ever been. Um. I don't understand some of the, the decisions that are made. 10, 15 years, no, less than that, 10 years ago, when a football decision was made, we were all able to sit in a pub and discuss whether we agreed with it or disagreed. We can now do that now, but there is a definitive from the Premier League because of our, i.e., 
this is what we believe. We've gone back, we've run the tape, we've watched it twice, we've watched it on the monitor, and we believe penalty, no penalty, sending off, no sending off, whatever it may be. So it takes that away from the game, the fact that we could all sit there and go, I disagree with Graham Paul there, but, you know, he's give it, he hasn't give it. You're going back the to handball, me, Graham Paul. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm just... The, 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 the handballs are a joke. Um, and we've seen it, we've seen it time and time again that almost referees' directive is to not give second yellow cards unless unless they go to ground and it's involving their feet. You know, we we saw Felipe, um, one going down on his feet. I think Robbers pulled back as well. Uh, we he, he fouls him with his legs, but then also grabs him. Yeah, yeah, foul. yeah. I mean, it, it was, a professional foul. I mean, it speaks volumes. And it, then the one that I go back to is the Liverpool game. The Liverpool game where Anana's on the turn and whoever it was for there should have got a second. Matty, he should have got a second yellow card and he never gave it. And it was inexcusable based on the fact that Ashley Young had been sent off for two yellow cards. It was inexcusable. Um, every Premier League team, apart from a couple, seems to be having some dodgy decisions against them this season. And it, it, I'm not on as a result. Not saying the Premier League is favouritism against anyone, because I, I I think there is a top six bias, but that top six bias only works when they're not playing against each other. Like in the Spurs and Man City game yesterday, they wanted to draw to keep the, the title race as open as possible for as long as possible. Jack Grealish was through. On the turn, he's allowed play to go on but not allowed the ball to be received by Grealish. It just doesn't make sense. So, for me, I think the Premier League is corrupt as they come. I think the refereeing standard is corrupt as they come because they have a predetermined set of where they want each team to be in the Premier League, roughly. Um, and I don't think you can break that. I, I, I think it's an absolute mess, mate. I think the Premier League's an absolute mess. I think it needs completely unbiased to come and, and referee in the Premier League, you know, whether that be referees from America or Europe or, you know, another continent anywhere to manage our games because the English ones that was something I was gonna, that was so, sorry, Mike. That was something I was gonna ask you. Aaron, apologies, he did actually add to his point that he he believes that the standard of refereeing and, and as you talk about the inconsistency, yet consistency if you call it that, you know, in certain games when it suits yeah. me does open, you know, it does open the door to, to the suggestion of corruption. And and he's not talking about Everton, he's just talking about in general. So yeah. it's, it's interesting you actually use the word corruption yourself. Uh, but at the point I was going to make, and I think this is a really valid one, the Premier League has got the best of everything. Like, you know, managers, players, infrastructure from a your stadium point of view. You know, it, it's the best league in the world. Why on earth are we not going around the world, as you're suggesting, and recruiting the best referees. Why? Why do we have to accept that there's an ineptitude in terms of the, you know, the pipeline of referees coming through the general standard of the top referees? You know, the, all right, you can talk to the FA and say, oh, let's 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 try and promote refereeing, etc. I wouldn't want to be a referee for love nor money, and and that's regardless of what I see at the top. It's the, it's the abuse to get at grassroots level. All right, well, let's 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 park that for now. You wouldn't you wouldn't, for example. If there's a if there's a lack of you know talent in any of those Premier League squads, you know you don't see directors of football and managers going. Oh, let's just wait for them to come through. They go and recruit over abroad. 
know, abroad. They go and recruit in the in the countries that have got the talents that they're looking for. So why are we not doing the same with officials? And it doesn't make sense to me. But the other the other problem with that is you can recruit all the people you want, but if the agenda above them people is still going to be potentially corrupt or dodgy or whatever, then they're just going to fall into that same mindset. I think the whole net, the whole PGML needs wrapping. I think a lot of it. I think you know Howard Webb. I think all of it needs to go because I think Howard Webb, to be fair, has tried to address some issues, but I think the issues are bigger than him. So, uh, I, I honestly, man, I think I think the Premier League need independent regulation. I think the referees need independent regulation, and I think every every single game should be reviewed after for every single decision and a report published on every single decision and for any trends, then um, an action happens against against that happening again, whether that be a certain referee, whether it be certain VAR calls, whether it be certain decisions, because there is now far too many that don't make sense. Um, you know, Wolves, Wolves have had loads this season. They had one at the fir first game of the season where Nana cleared out one of their strikers. They had one last weekend. It's well, so the inconsistent. The full um, one of all the penalties was a joke. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, and, and I sit there and I think there's been games this season where Everton have had a penalty given against them and literally a week later, we haven't got a penalty for the same thing or mm. vice versa. Yeah. I, honestly, I... You can understand why people who now watch the Premier League go week in, week out, spend their money on Sky and tickets for the game and whatever. They're completely disillusioned by it all because of how demoralising it is. And the, the one that the one that always sticks in my mind where I started to think, yeah, VAR is dodgy, was the Gilfie Sigurdsson on the floor one where Gilfie Sigurdsson's on the floor. I think Calvert-Lewin shoots. It's against Manchester United, 1-1. It's to, it's to win the game, 2-1. He gets himself out of the way. People were saying De Gea couldn't see the ball, but of course you can see the ball over lying down on the floor, Gilfie Sigurdsson, so there was yeah. no... And I sat there and I thought, yeah, it's, it is really... It they're not it hiding it. They're not hiding it. Hmm. They're doing no. some more stuff, I'm convinced of it. <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me, yeah. We've had enough, we've had enough, we've had enough of that as Evertonians, but no, I appreciate that, Mike. And a really interesting take on it, and, and definitely something as I appreciate everyone else's views and comments on. Uh, just to finish it off, and I think it's a, a, a suitable end to to end the or suitable end to the podcast. It was just a point more than a you know a, a question from from Katie. She just said, "I think that the away end once again deserve a shout out." Um, they again protested throughout the game, but more importantly, got behind the team who really looked to appreciate it a full time. I think that there was extra recognition from the team, I think, at the end of the game on, on Saturday in terms of appreciating what the, the, the crowds are put into, not only the, the support during that game, but the, the last seven to ten days. I think they probably realised, you know, as, as players, it was tough for them. As a club, it, it's been tough, but great again to see that solidarity and, you know, the... For, for the first time in, in a long time that everyone's kind of pulling in the same direction. Yeah, I, the away support from Everton has always been fantastic. Um, you know, every single game, home and away, midweek, thousands of miles away, you can guarantee that Everton fans will be there, will be heard, and and they, they won't stop singing, they won't stop shouting. Um, what adds that 
that bit of aggression now is the fact that you know you've got these corrupt banners and you've got the you know the protests and whatever and you know everyone is doing their part when they go away from home you know i, I saw on twitter from one of my um you know one of the followers i saw a picture of all of the coaches lined up saying premier league corrupt in the numbers box at the top of the coach you know everyone is is getting into it everyone at everton's getting into it and and Funny enough, it will spread. It will spread because we're already seeing Wolves doing it. So the away support, as of right now, there are there are absolute go to. There there are there are marketing mechanism. So not only are they supporting the team and they're being brilliant at that, like they always are, but they're supporting us as fans by delivering the message countrywide that that Everton will not be moved. So I think that's a very you know fitting end, but. We shall not be moved, and they absolutely epitomise it, and I absolutely love them for it. Love it, Mike. I think they're the actual words that Millsy's put on the little um, thumbnail for YouTube, so superb, superb little shout there as well. Thanks again, Mike, for joining us. Appreciate it, and definitely let's not leave it so long next time. Always great to have you on, and just to remind everyone again, the Blue Boys Network tag will be in the description for our, our YouTube, uh, sorry, for our episodes. Please check them out. Some superb content that, the, that Mike and the lads put out on a regular basis. So thanks again, Mike, and enjoy the rest of your week. Up the fucking Yes, thank you, mate. Up the toughies. <laughs>